This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, good morning, one and all, and uh, particularly a good morning to Charlie Dobbin. And good morning to you, Franklin Proctor. What a gorgeous day. I'm just looking out the window here as our our studios uh, face out onto Liberty Street in Liberty Village. Mm. And son of a gun, that sky looks cloudless at the moment. Yeah, just nice be happy blue. we're not in Thunder Bay. It's like oh, snowing man. there, I think. Oh, <laughs> but but we are in the sweet spot right now, I yeah. think, in Ontario. And it is gorgeous. And getting out in the garden today has mm. got to be everybody's number one priority. It's Absolutely. Like even you. Other than maybe tonight <laughs> cheering for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, I'm not a Leafs the, person. I'm, I'm a Raptors person. Well, I'll be cheering I, for I, the I Raptors. See. Well, you can cheer for them, too. They're oh, playing thank you. And then I could cheer for the Marlies. Well, yeah, you know, I and then cheer for TFC. Uh, Connors in the... Uh, uh, he's a oh, right. young golfer yeah. from Listowel, oh, doing right, so right, well. Right. But there's five five oh, teams playing. It's, it's a sports weekend. It's is a it crazy lacrosse? weekend. No, it is. I think it's lacrosse is the fifth thing. I think uh, the Marlies are playing. Well, Marlies, yeah. Leafs, Raptors, Wolfpack is lacrosse. Yeah, Sebastian just said a wolf packet. <laughs> rugby, I think you're right. Rugby. <laughs> oh, there you go. We got it. We got yeah, it covered. Okay. But anyway. this is the garden show yeah. after all. So I guess we better well, get our to sport, the garden. Our sport is uh, gardening. It all right. Sure is. Let me give the phone numbers, okay, to the folks who are trying to get through in the lines here. In Toronto, here's the number to call 416 And then anywhere in the province, it's toll free 1 866 740 and we're going to be along in a moment to say hi to Jim in Philadelphia, who's hanging on the line. But you've got some announcements here. I do. Well, it yeah. is that time of year, after all. All right? right. Okay. So the Blenheim Hort Society, they're having a guest speaker April the 15th, garden expert and radio personality, Terry Dent, with her presentation, Gardening Pleasures. So it's going to be a very fun, informative night held at the Trinity Anglican Church this Monday, 730 59 Ellen Street in Blenheim. Uh, also... April the 15th, I'll be in Port Hope, so the other end of the province. Uh, the Hort Society is meeting at 7 o'clock in the evening. That's meeting at the Ruth Clark Centre, 81 Mill Street South in Port Hope. My topic is gardening as we mature. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's a mature subject type. Of course. Um, so it's, it's about how to keep, keep active, keep moving, uh, keep that body moving and, and for health and wellness. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting too, because I was starting to tell you, I was doing some little taping of some, um, PSAs for lack of a better term, you know, public service announcements on gardening with uh, a young videographer here from MZ Media. And one of our topics is just that, you know, Getting ready to get in the garden. So yep. we're jumping jacks and getting, you know, yeah. exercise. Stay loose. Stay, yeah, yep. well, but, yep. but warming up, yeah. just, you know, before you go out there. So, uh, and I'm going to dig up. There's some great research. Of course, leave it to the Brits. There's some great research on, um, um, life insurance company in England. Mm-hmm. Did all the, uh, all these statistics and, you know, zeroed in on gardeners and the fact that they live longer than the average person. And, uh, they worked through, 
the value, the actual monetary value that uh, to save money on your insurance oh, yeah. if you garden a certain mm-hmm. number of hours a week and the size of your garden, et cetera. So bending, lifting, walking, digging, all that kind of thing adds Actually up. Actually has monetary yeah, value. They, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. They, they, like I said, they got real nerdy about yeah. it and took it right down to numbers. So I'm going to dig up those stats to use uh, in my okay. next couple of presentations. So hope to see everybody at Port Hope. Uh, from Hilda Ortman, thank you for the giggle in your email. An announcement <laughs> from the Corticultural Societies of Parkdale and Toronto. They want everyone to know they have a great meeting planned on Monday, April 20th. 29th, 7 to 9 p.m. at the Bonnar Parkdale Presbyterian Church, which is 250 Dunn Avenue, just south of Queen Street West in Toronto. Great topic, actually. It's on Q, Saving the World's Plants with David Lehman. So David Lehman is going to take everyone behind the scenes to see what Q is doing to save the world's most endangered plants, one plant at a time. As you may or may not know, Q Gardens is a World Heritage Site founded in 1840. It houses the world's largest and most diverse botanical and mycological, which is fungal, collections on the 300-acre site all in southwest London. Doors open at 6.30. And, oh, well, okay, so there's another one, but it's so far in the future. We'll, okay, we'll hold, we'll that, hold that till next week, maybe, all right? Okay. Because we do have to scoot along, Charlie. We have, uh, as I mentioned, Jim from Philadelphia hanging yeah, on the line there. Great. So we start off with an international call very shortly. Our friendship. Exactly. <laughs> uh, right here on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And the sous chef of the garden, Frank Proctor, here welcoming Jim from Philadelphia back to the airwaves. Hi, good morning, Jim. Charlie, Frank, good morning. Good morning. Happy happy spring. Haven't talked in a while. That's for sure. You, you're probably springier down where you are than we are. Yeah, I've actually got figs I pulled out that are hardening off. Nice. Um, some greens in the ground. I oh. mean, we're doing better than Minnesota. Yeah, I bet you are. I imagine <laughs> yeah. you've got lots of tulips and daffodils blooming at this as we speak. Oh, yeah, daffodils in full bloom. Tulips are pushing. You see their heads. We had some rain, so the daffies are starting to droop a little bit. Yeah, no, it looks... Really springy. No, nice. right good stuff. We're still a bit green here, but the, the daffodils are certainly there, and I'm starting to see some color starting to show, so we're close behind. It's coming along, yep. Yeah. Charlie, starting blueberries, mm-hmm. uh, picked up a variety of them. I think I covered all the different little seasons, early, mm-hmm. early to mid-season, mid-season and late-season plants. Wow. Got two of each. Mm-hmm. Looking to put them, I guess, five to six feet apart in two rows so I can have a walking path in the middle for picking. How to prep the soil is my question. A lot of stuff I'm reading, they're talking about augmenting it with different chemicals to bring the pH down to four, four and a half, somewhere in that range. I'm thinking I want to use good old Canadian peat moss. (laughs) Mix that 50-50 with the soil in the holes, dig the hole out, mix it in. Uh, and use that as the way to drop the pH, and each year just top dress with more of the pH, with uh, more of the uh, peat moss. Do you know what your pH is? Have you done any kind of a soil test? I have not. 
Okay, so that's that's your starting point. You, you've got to know I mean, what you know. It's decent. The the plants in it that's leave, years of leaves and grass composted on it with high worm mm-hmm, growth. Good. Yeah. So you know it's fertile because things are growing there. You know you've looked after it and amended it. But pH matters, particularly when it comes to blueberries. So I mm-hmm. would I would just you know even get a hold of a simple hobby gardener pH meter. They sell them at the garden centers. It's a little probe. Stick it in the ground. Um, litmus paper, if not, well, the problem with litmus paper, it just tells you alkali, you know, it goes blue or pink, doesn't give you the details that you need to know. The reason why is because to really effectively grow blueberries, you absolutely do need that low pH for 4.5. I, I imagine that the soil where you live is not that far off our soil and it, it does tend to be on the alkali side. However, like you said, incorporating those leaves, um, if you make compost or incorporated any compost over the years, and just even the rain that falls from the sky is acidic. So all those things help to acidify our alkali soil, but not down to four. It might be, you know, my natural soil is probably about, you know, 6.5, 6.7 kind of pH if I tested it. So I would do the testing first. Definitely, definitely use peat moss when you plant. That will, over time, lower your pH, but it will not immediately lower the pH. So what I would do if I was planting blueberries is not only would I do just as you said, half pe- half peat moss, half regular soil. I would also um, get a hold of something that we ha- have for sale here in Canada called soil acidifier, straight sulfur. And so it's not aluminum sulfate. It's none of these sulfurs that are attached with a lot of heavy metals. It's just straight sulfur. It's yellow. It looks just like, you know, mineral Mm -hmm. granular sulfur. And I would incorporate that into my soil when I'm planting. And I would be measuring pH before, pH after, and then pH in two weeks, and then another two weeks. Like I'd be sort of constantly monitoring the pH. Uh, and, And you will probably have to add this soil acidifier more than once every season. So you'll do it in the spring. You may have to do it like midsummer, depending on how how much your soil buffers. It's all about buffering and and the other minerals that are in the soil that will fight you trying to change the pH. Like it's it is hard to change and maintain uh, a change in pH. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was gonna be some work, but okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. We'll and if you if shot. you if you have any pine trees or spruce trees on your property or your neighbor's property, people are often raking out dead needles mm-hmm. from beneath pine trees and, and spruces. Get those and use those as a mulch around your blueberries. And, mulch, yep. Yeah, because they're gonna slowly decompose just like that peat moss. So they're gonna slowly uh, help keep that pH as low as you can. But to get that immediate kick and to try and keep it at that low pH, you're going to have to use some kind of an acidifier, I think. Don't know unless you do a pH test, though. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely do a test. Right. Hey, Frank, when I hang up, can you talk about how do I see you on the uh, web app you've got so I can watch? I haven't figured that part out from looking on your site. Oh, Thanks, guys. Uh, so wait, so I, from the garden show, you don't see Frank? He's gone. I, I oh. looked before. Maybe I'm not looking at the right time to bring up the video. To watch well, right now, if you're watching online, yeah. I'm waving. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and the camera flips back and forth. Like I, the camera's on me and it's going to flip to Frank in a second. So it does okay. and, and does wide shots as well. Yeah. So, yeah. So watch. Okay. So watch on AM seven forty. And you'll say watch live. live or, I do oh, believe. Yeah. Is it watch? And whenever live our mics live. are on, uh, that's when the picture of us would come up. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So I'm waving. Hello. hello. <laughs> and I'm laughing. <laughs> thanks for calling. Yeah, but thanks Jim. a lot, Jim. 
We appreciate uh, it. All right. All righty. Enjoy your garden and enjoy uh, your blueberries. Yes, we got to exactly. go visit him. He sounds like he's got a nice garden. Sure does. We need a field trip. Let's uh, let's take a little trip to uh, Newcastle, just a little bit, a little bit to the uh, east here. There's uh, George on the line. Yes. Good morning, George. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Yes, uh, I am well, Charlie. You have a wonderful show there. Thank you. Last year, you told us of a slug killer, and it is the most fantastic uh, product, uh, but I lost the formula. Uh, Do you have that formula? Oh, okay. I'm going to have to go back and find that. Whew. Good thing I've still got my old book here. That was one that <laughs> Sean or somebody gave us, it seems to me. You know what? Let me look <clears throat> look for it during the break, and I will get your pen and paper out, and yep. I will read it to you when we get back from a break. Okay. Because okay. I have yeah. to look for it. Actually, it, that comes at a propitious time. Yes. Because we have to take a break right about nice now. Word, so, George, stay tuned, okay? <laughs> we will so. All right. Thanks, thanks for calling. Thanks so very much. And, yeah, we, we do indeed take a little uh, rest here, or at least Charlie will. Um, no, I won't. i got to look up a recipe. <laughs> That's true, too. Okay. Back in just a couple of moments here with uh, Charlie Dobbin on The Garden Show. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, uh, had you been in studio with us, you would have seen the blur of pages flying by of all the notes that Charlie has taken over the past year. And uh, you're having trouble finding that particular uh, recipe for slugs, right? This book goes back to April 2016. And this is yeah. a fat book. So this has yeah. got three years worth of the garden show in it. All right. So I'm flipping back to last year, remembering that Sean James was here. Yeah. You were probably off holidaying early February. <laughs> and I've got a, I found, um, a recipe, but this is a recipe. It's a deer repellent. So, so, Doesn't uh, yeah, I don't coincide think, with the slug request. I don't yeah. think so. I'm going to give this out. See if this is the one that we're looking for. Oh, what happened there? I missed a page. <laughs> um, yeah, so see if this is what George is looking for. And if it's not the right recipe, George, then I'm going to put a call out to everybody who's listening and say, do you remember a slug recipe? Because <laughs> I'm not finding it. I, I found Warner's tomato recipe for growing the best tomatoes. Here's this deer repellent. It was two eggs, uh -huh. two cups of milk, two tablespoons of olive oil, plus a dash of dish soap, two liters of water, and uh, cayenne pepper. Huh. Mix it all around, put it into a sprayer, spray onto edible plants in your garden to mm -hmm. the dripping point, and uh, deer will not touch your plants. Well, now. Now, that was, uh, yeah, to the dripping point for lasts for about a month. Mm. That's not, okay, so the slug one, yeah. the slug one was something else. It was like... Rubbing alcohol in water, and and the idea was you spray it now, early in the season, just before let's, the hostas are poking their little let's noses. Let's put the call out then, if you, yeah. if you remember that, folks. Spray somebody call in with soil. that recipe, and, and I'll keep looking. Yeah, I, I've only gone back so far. Here. <laughs> meanwhile, Charlie will deal with other issues, and the George just keep tuned. Okay. Yeah. yeah so we'll yeah, George, let me know. Is that the slug right. repellent? No, something else. <laughs> okay, Lorraine online from Cambridge. Good morning, Lorraine. Hi. <clears throat> Um, I have um, a part of my lawn that I redid mm -hmm. and um, about two or three years ago, and this year it's really quite thick. Like I was just wondering if I took, put too much seed in. It's also got holes in it, um, that, and it, some of it came up with a thatch, but there was also big holes. 
Hmm. I might have done the thatching too, dethatching too early. Right. Well, uh, you, you may have. If it came out in clumps, like, like yes, actual live grass. Big holes. Yeah. So, I mean, have you discarded all that? that green grass that came out? Because you can kind of go back and patch it back in. I did put, okay, yeah, some of, but some of it doesn't have, it's just really like dug deep about six inches. Mm, so you you know what? Right now is the perfect time. You go over to your, go to your local garden center. Everybody's got lawn soil for sale right now. Yeah. Uh, there's a few of them made by different companies. So pick up a bag or two of lawn soil. And if you need a little more grass seed, take some grass seed, go home, get that lawn soil filled into where those patches are bringing the soil level up to you know ground level with the other rest of the turf then rake it up rake it so it's nice and smooth get out that grass seed sprinkle it yeah you don't want to put the grass seed so thick that you can't see the soil beneath it you do want to um basically you want the seeds to drop so that the spaces between the seeds are about the same size as the seed the grass seeds themselves so sprinkling the seed into those patchy areas a light raking just to cover those seeds so the birds don't steal the grass seed and pray for rain and it should come up beautifully in the next few weeks okay do you think that some of the holes could be from grubs or something they well what if they were yellow patches last late last summer and last fall particularly yellow patches that got bigger and bigger and bigger over the season oh i see then i would i would suspect grubs because grubs hatch usually in early august or late july and start chewing uh the roots of your grass so oh. the the patches start you, you don't really see anything until they're about the size of a loony or a toonie and then you say oh that looks a little suspicious and then you watch it and of course those patches get larger and larger right through august and september even October, depending on the fall, and then they go down underground. They come back up in the spring, so they aren't probably quite up yet in Cambridge, but they're working their way up, and we'll start chewing some more. So do you put grub stuff down right now? Um, well, there's nematodes for grub control. Uh, is there? Are there nematodes for spring f- grub control? Not that I know of. Oh, I see. The grubs okay. are just too tough at this time of year. They're, they're leathery after spending the winter down deep in the soil. They they're, they got like a coat of armor on now. So you wait but, for the young ones. That's right. For the newly hatched ones, they're very susceptible to the nematodes. And that, like I say, is early August. Okay, thanks very much. All right, thanks for calling. Okay, Lorraine, thank you. And uh, it's off to Coburg, Charlie. Uh, there's Helen. Good morning, Helen. Welcome to the show. Hi there. Morning. Good morning. Um, Charlie, I did something sort of silly. I went to my Hort Society meeting and someone was giving away free seeds and of course, I uh, picked up some, and uh, the first two were fine stalks and hmm. um, some rose campion. Sort of know what nice. to do with those. Yeah. But I picked up a small envelope, and it says wild clematis, small white flowers. Now I love clematis, and of course, it wasn't until I got home that I thought, oh, you dense person. <laughs> um, I think what I have probably is the autumn flowering Maybe. clematis. Yeah. Um, I, I don't really know the name. All I could Sweet. find in a book was perhaps Turniflora clematis. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's called Sweet Autumn, the cultivar, the cultivated yeah. variety. Now, if it's wild clematis, I'd be a little hesitant. <laughs> really? Well, that's why I thought when I got home, if I, you know, made a mistake here and I'm going to end up with an entire garden full exactly. of whatever this is. Right. Um. So I wondered whether uh, I should even do anything with it. One of the options I thought 
um, if it was the sweet autumn clematis, mm-hmm. I had planned to have it grow up a pergola, but the pergola has not been built yet. I'm a little <laughs> ahead of myself. And so I do have a fence, uh, a chain link mm-hmm. fence that's six feet tall. And I thought, well, mm-hmm. I could, I could put it there for temporarily. Mm-hmm. But once I, I kept focusing on the word wild and I thought, <laughs> well, maybe I shouldn't do this and perhaps I should try it in a pot this year. What do you think of that? You know what? That's probably not a bad idea mm-hmm. is try it in a pot. I mean, there's there's sort of, I'm quickly just searching here. I'm seeing some different links on the web. So what is wild clematis? Yeah. And of course, it's, they're suggesting that it is clematis virginiana. Oh. Uh, deciduous vine often seen scrambling over fences and on slopes along riverbanks and drainage ditches or other moist areas across the eastern United States. Mm. Uh, it is suitable for growing in our well actually it might not even be the, well zone five where are you you're in cobra five probably so, five yeah. yeah so it probably won't do a major takeover because it's going to be on the edge of its zone yeah so that's a good thing yeah uh, because you know if you were living in south carolina or something you might say no better not it'll be takeover <laughs> yeah uh, one of the books i read said that uh be careful this is an american mm, book right. and it said it can become invasive yes uh in the southern parts <clears throat> of the yeah. of the country so i knew that much and if that that's what this is. Yeah, that's yeah. probably what it is. But because you are on the edge of its hardiness, it will you'll have enough dieback or it'll be, have a long yeah. enough winter that it won't have a chance to really take over. Right. Um, there is a quite a, a, an established garden. Actually, I haven't seen, been on this website in a long time, but it's called Dave's Garden. It's been around for 20 oh, years. Yeah. Easy. And it's, there's a whole article that says, Wild Clematis, an unexpected treasure. Oh, I should look at that. Yeah. So um, okay. under Dave's Garden, Dave apostrophe S uh, Garden. So that's, you know, just try that. It, it is giving a bit of a story on, on how to get going with, with wild clematis. Okay, good. Because that was one of the things I, questions I had is, like, should I soak the <laughs> seeds? Should I yeah. sow them on the surface? Should I dig them in? I didn't, I, I don't have a clue. So that may help if I go on, if he's got some instructions. Yeah, there. he does. Yeah. All right. Okay, there okay, you go. Helen. Thank you very much yeah, for your thank call. You, thank you very okay. much. Bye. Interesting question and mm-hmm. a little... Uh, Challenging. Uh, I love exactly. It. Exactly. Challenging me. Well, Charlie, you see me reaching for the bell. Yeah, uh-huh. cool. Ah, because Len from Barry is first time caller. Good morning, Len. Good morning, Charlie and Frank. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. And you've I've been got your for ages. garden wings. <laughs> yes, I need all the help I can get. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> but uh, my question is mm-hmm. I have this 150 feet of hedge and it's 10 feet tall. Mm-hmm. When and how do I fertilize it? Oh, you want it bigger? Thicker? Yes. <laughs> Thicker. All right, it so, is getting thin in some areas. Okay, so uh, I think it still exists. There is a fertilizer out there. It is a water-soluble fertilizer, meaning you'll mix it with water in the watering can and water with it. It's called Cedar Feeder. Oh, and yeah. it's designed very much, obviously, for cedar hedges. I think the numbers on it seems to me were either... 30 zero, zero, or maybe 20 zero, zero. But bottom line, it's a high nitrogen fertilizer. Mm. Um, if you can't find cedar feeder exactly, then look for any kind of an evergreen food. With that kind of size, you may not want water soluble just because it'll take you forever to get it properly fertilized. You might prefer a granular fertilizer, something that you'll just scatter on the ground at the base of the plants. Um, yes, I was and, thinking of... Uh... 
and it will slowly dissolve in the rain, etc. But to thicken that up, what I would do, if you can get uh, up on a ladder high enough, is to yes. bring the top down. Bring yes. the top down by about a foot. That's going to cause all kinds of sprouting in the along the lower branches, the thickening that you're looking for. When should I do that? Um, usually we... We prune our cedars and, and any of our evergreens, generally speaking, when they're actively growing. So in Barry, you're still at least a month or more away from that. Might be more like June. Before you're starting to see that bright green new flush of growth, that's the day you prune. Because by pruning then, uh, the plant will very much send out lots of new growth in response to the pruning that you've done. And it will also cover any of the blunt stubs that you've left behind. Great. Um, I got two questions in there. Wouldn't yeah, that was pretty sweet. <laughs> but I'll just tell you one more little tip about cedar hedges. Get out your either hedge trimmers or, sh- you know, shearing, um, pruner type, lo- like long, uh, bladed pruners and shear the sides of the cedar so that it's narrower at the top and slightly yeah. wider at the bottom. And that way, again, the sun is going to penetrate and it'll be thick right down to the bottom. Okay. Sounds good. All, All right. right, Lynn. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, my friend. Fertilize. Okay. Well, thank and you very much for prune. all the entertaining hours. Oh, okay. you're very welcome. <laughs> and I think we might have, could be the answer to our slug question oh. there oh. from uh, June in East York. Does oh. this sound familiar? Ten parts water, one part ammonia? But that's, that's what I just gave. Oh, one oh. part. So there we go. Yeah. Ten parts water, one part ammonia. Yeah. Slug repellent. Okay, that, that sounds, sounds about right. maybe a, a little familiar. Hmm? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. No, the, Sebastian, the two eggs, two cups was uh, the deer repellent. Yeah, that's the one I just gave. So no, I, I believe this is correct. So going back to George in Newcastle, hopefully you're still listening. Ten parts water, one part ammonia. Start spraying anytime the snow after the snow has melted uh, in the area where your hostas and any real delicious for the slugs type plants mm-hmm. haven't started to grow yet and the idea is you're going to spray this on the soil now because the slugs overwinter as eggs and i've had this where i'm digging around just cleaning up my yeah. garden in the spring and moving around leaves and stuff and i i unearth a, a whole nest of baby slugs it's oh. actually quite gross but still <laughs> it's kind of cool because there's like 200 slugs and you can do a yeah. lot of damage to 200 slugs when they're in your hand yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and that's what's happening now those slug eggs are hatching and that's why that ammonia and water is a good thing to get out because that will shrivel them up and they will die Excellent. All righty. He's going to scribble that down so I can remember that. For okay. The future. Uh, Peter in Southampton on the line. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. Morning. Uh, that uh, ammonia. Uh, yeah, and water. Yeah, I gave that to you a little while back. Oh, thank oh, you. Okay. Um, my question is the uh, change bugs. Yes. Um, I about a month ago, I went to my nursery and ordered my uh, grub control. Yes, and uh, I asked about chinch bugs and what uh, in, any kind of a deterrent. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the lady said that uh, you uh, what uh, she uh, suggested was safer's endol insecticide or caricide. Oh yeah. It's a spray, and it's supposed to be when the grass starts growing. You uh, put uh, spray this on to um, kill the eggs of the chinch bugs. Right. The the my issue with that is yes, indeed, that's um, endol is actually an excellent insecticide. However, it does work by contacting the insects 
directly. And it's very, very, very difficult to spray effectively into a lawn in such a way that you actually will have contact with any insects or insect eggs that are in the soil beneath all the blades of grass. So as far as I know, one of the best ways to protect your, yourself from chinch bug is uh, part of it is pray that the weather is with you because it's the hot, dry summers where the chinch bug really take off. So I hope that we get, you know, reasonable rain, particularly mm-hmm. for people that aren't able to irrigate, <clears throat> excuse me, their lawns. But one of the best ways to avoid things like chinch bugs is keep your lawn as happy and healthy as you can. So aerating right now, whether it's renting one of those core aerators or hiring one of those kids that's knocking on your door wanting to aerate your lawn, get that done. Dethatching with a dethatching rake, get all the dead stuff and get the thatch out. Rake up all the brown from over the past winter. Get out there with your spring spring lawn fertilizer and do fertilize consistently. Um, spring is important for sure for fertilizing. Fall is also very important for fertilizing. You might want to do one more in the middle there. And so a, a thick, green, well-cared-for lawn is a lawn that will not be affected by chinch bugs. So I wouldn't be overly concerned about being proactive on this, the chinch bug just yet. They're not at all an issue yet. They may become so if we get the kind of uh, summer that they love. Yeah, I find that they do... Uh quite a bit of damage in the uh, hot weather Mm -hmm. uh, as far as, you know, turning your uh, lawn brown. They can. Do you have a really large lawn? Yes. Well, uh, you know, it's uh, 125 by 75. Yeah, so so it's a good size. Uh, Uh, um, Yeah, prevent it. Like I said, the best thing you can do to prevent chinch bug is keep that lawn as healthy and happy as you possibly can. I'll look and see if there's something, any, anything else new out there to, to react or prevent once we are worried about chinch bug. For now, I wouldn't worry because we don't see them till July at the soonest anyway. But let me look into that and see if I can report back. And thank you very much for that slug repellent recipe. Apparently it works like a charm. Yeah, good. <laughs> uh, and as we say goodbye there to Peter, uh, a reminder that that opens a line here for Callers in Toronto, 416 And, of course, anywhere in Toronto, or pardon me, anywhere in the province, toll-free, 1-866-744-740. We're up to a break, and we'll be back very shortly here on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And Charlie, just before we go back to the callers here, you have some tips to offer on the cinch bug question, yeah, right? Yeah, so Peter, uh, just a quick quick scan of the web. Uh, July, of course, is when we do get concerned. We recognize chinch bug by yellow spots in our lawns. Usually it's a very dry time of year, hot and dry. So five tips. Keep your grass long. None of this putting green, cutting three inches, set the lawnmower at three inches. Longer grass will be something that chinch bug have more trouble with. As a don't over fertilize. So that's just opposite to what I just said. It's saying, you know, do fertilize your lawn, preferably with a slow release, uh, not too high nitrogen because chinch bug are very attracted to high nitrogen lawns. Water heavily, but not too often. So when you do water, make it a thorough watering, at least one inch of water. Uh, chinch bugs like dry grass. Aerate in the spring. So now's our time to be out aerating our lawns, opening up the lawns, mm-hmm. getting that proper um, percolation of nutrient and moisture down to the roots. And number five, if you do suspect or you do know you have chinch bug, use soap. So that'd be safer soap or any of the horticultural soaps. 
that are you spray on, that will contact the the bug and and then kill them. Right, you are okay. okay. And Pat, who's been patiently waiting online yes. there in Mississauga. Good morning, Pat. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Charlie and Frank. Good morning. I'm just calling in about last year. I called you about an amaryllis plant that mm-hmm. I had received as a gift that I thoroughly enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I don't think I enjoy anything any more than this beautiful nice. plant. So I did what you told me. I put it out of my balcony. I brought it in for nine weeks. And uh, I took it out early December, and nothing happened. It was the 1st of March, so I gave it a few smacks on the side and told it if it didn't smarten up, it was going out. But it was a very firm bulb, so I thought, it's still got to be health there. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I started to, to fertilize my plants in, in uh, the first couple of weeks in March. Anyway, lo and behold, my amaryllis is blooming beautifully. Oh, there you go. She, three huge big blooms wow. and another one coming. Nice. My question is, I'm going to put it back out on the balcony mm. later on in the season. Mm. It, it's still in the original pot that I, I received it in. Mm. Should I be putting it in a new pot with new uh, soil? Uh, maybe, you know what I would do? Once it's finished blooming and you've removed those flower stems, uh, and by that time leaves will have emerged, that's right. pick it up and look underneath where the drainage holes are okay. and see if there's any roots growing out of the drainage holes. If it's looking quite matted and rooty at the drainage holes, then okay, yes, you could go up one pot size with some fresh soil. Uh-huh. And, and of course, remember, you want to make sure it's like half the bulb is out of the soil and half the bulb yes, is buried. It is now, yes. Um, so, yes. But if you don't see any evidence of any roots coming out of the drainage holes, I'd leave it alone. <clears throat> okay. They like to be pot-bound. The, the pot that it's in, it's got a, a, a saucer underneath it that's attached, oh, it's hatched. and I can't tell. But anyway, I'll, yeah. I'll work it out. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. They do like to be pot-bound. Is it a plastic uh, pot? Yes, it is. It'll, it'll break the pot eventually. <laughs> Once okay. it breaks the pot, you'll know it's time okay. to re-pot to re- <laughs> <Great>. it. <laughs> okay, thank you. I so enjoy you, you folks. I look forward to Saturday morning. Oh, thank you. Oh, that's you. terrific. Thanks, Pat. Warming the cockles of my heart. Yes, indeed. Oh, that's so sweet. Uh, out to Port Perry now. Okay. Lovely uh, community. Let's uh, say hi to Linda. Hey, Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning, Charlie and good, Frank. Good morning. We still have a little ice on the north end of Lake Skugok. I bet yeah. you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering about lavender. I have one or three or ten, I forget how many, yeah. that are about two feet tall. My. Do I cut them right back, or no. do they grow on last year's wood? They do grow on last year's wood. I know, lavender are a bit tricky, depending on the winter we've had as well. What I would do is wait until we start to get some growth, wait till that ice is gone, and things are starting to perk up and warm up enough. When that happens, give them a... a Two things you could do is for early in the spring is check and see if there's anything obviously dead, really crispy. Remove that, but don't take them right down. That uh, kills them more than it, it does anything else. Okay. And from what I know about lavender, the best thing you can do is after they've bloomed. So by August, September, they've done all their blooming and they're nice little bushy plants. Shear them then. You'd give a nice little shearing, take off about an inch of the whole plant in sort of August, early August, and that for whatever reason, seems to 
prepare them to get through the winter in better shape so that you don't really need to do much cutting back in the spring. Okay. Okay. And we have a garden show going on in the arena at Port Perry this weekend. Oh, nice. If anybody wants to drive up here. All weekend in the (laughs) arena at Port Perry. It's a garden show, garden and home show? Yes, garden and home show. Wonderful. Well, Okay. Well, thank you for the tip. Good to know. Have a great day. You bet. Bye. Bye-bye now. Uh, Lake Skugog. I used to live on Lake Skugog. Is that right? I lived in Caesarea. Oh, right on yeah, the south yeah. shore. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, our our pond, as you know, is rather large in front of our place. You know, thirty three yes. acres. Yes, very just large. free of ice. And I saw a beaver yesterday, just oh, making their way. That's bad yeah, news. yeah. I mean, I love oh, beavers, but they, they was, know, he was traveling. Good. I hope he's on, still on traveling. To, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have a dam that you yeah. drive over. Maybe no he'll ma- change it for you. <laughs> no, that, well, <laughs> modify your dam. They do that, you <laughs> oh, know. We have to take another break here, our final break of the show, as we are getting ready to say hi to Elizabeth in Scarborough. We'll do that very shortly here on The Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. We're uh, making our way slowly uh, to, well, actually, kind of rapidly, to the 9 o'clock point and uh, Dave's Corner Garage, which is coming up. Nine o'clock. No, ten o'clock. Right. Yeah. Where am I? <laughs> I, was, I didn't even catch that. <laughs> yeah. uh, what day uh, is it? Now, look, let's head to Scarborough. Yes. Get Elizabeth on the line here. Elizabeth, Save good you. morning. Yes, good morning. <laughs> morning. Um, I have an enclosed balcony uh, that gets the uh, morning sun. And uh, last fall, I decided to bring all my geranium, my hanging plants in, mm-hmm. and they bloomed all winter. Nice. Now they're getting very leggy. Right. And, and I was wondering about... Uh, uh, um, what rooting compound is best to use? I do have one and three. Yep, use number one. Number one? Yep. Okay. It should say um, right on it for softwood cuttings, and that's okay. what your geraniums will be. Even okay. though if you look down at the base of your geraniums, they're so old now, they're probably a bit on the woody side. Yes. You're going to take tip cuttings. So yes. you're going to take cuttings that are about five, six inches long. Right. Remove uh, at least... Two, two leaves, so you're okay. exposing two nodes. Okay. Dip those cut ends into water, then dip those wet cut tips into a little saucer with some of the rooting hormone, which is a powder. Yeah. Make sure you've got a good thorough coverage on the, the cut end where yes. you've made, taken your cuttings, tap off any excess, and then you can go into straight water with your geraniums or into a moist soil. But you should get roots fairly quickly. Now, but if I put them into water, won't the compound uh, just wash off? But it's still there in the water. Oh, oh, okay. You know what sometimes people do? If if you have a willow tree in your neighborhood, any kind of willow, you can don't even have to use the rooting hormone at all. Just take a piece of willow, stick that in the water because it naturally exudes what's which the the hormone, which is actually called indole butyric acid. It will naturally exude that from the cut willow end and put that into the water where you're trying to root some whatever you're rooting. (laughs) I know it's kind of magical. It's very natural. Okay. So if I put them in water, would it be a couple of weeks before the, yeah. the roots appear? Absolutely. But at this time of year, because the days are getting longer and the yes. plants are knowing it, it, should, it shouldn't it should take long. A couple of weeks at the most, I would say. 
and then put them into soil. That's right. And of course, that's what the growers have been doing ever since February. They've (laughs) been doing just what you're doing. They've got what we call the stock plants or the mother plants, the the big ones from last year. And they just keep cutting them back, cutting them back, cutting them back. And that's how they make all the little babies that you see for sale in the stores. (laughs) Okay. Thanks very much. All right. Good luck with that, Elizabeth. Okay. Right. Bye-bye. And uh, our... I believe our I, final caller here this morning is a first-time caller. Oh, good. This minute here. There nice. you go. Marianne, right here in Toronto. Toronto. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning, Charlie and Frank. How good are morning. you? Um, I have, um, or I had three sumac trees that were growing. I've got a retaining wall that's about five feet high. Mm-hmm. And between the retaining wall and the fence, I've got about a foot of earth that these three sumacs were growing in. Mm-hmm. Um Somebody cut them down in error last year, oh. and now I need to. It just broke my heart, uh. and now I need to replace them. But I want to either replace them with a sumac or something else that the root structure won't hurt the retaining wall. Yeah, that's mm. the challenge. It's only a foot, you say, between the fence and the retaining wall. Um, about a foot, maybe a foot and a half or so. And are you looking for height? Are you looking for privacy? What are you looking? I'm for? looking for height and a bit of privacy. Yes. I mean, an evergreen. Many of the evergreens, like cedars or yews, don't have a highly extensive rooting that will cause damage the way a sumac would. Sumacs have serious roots, and actually, what might happen if you watch is the root may have survived that cutting down. You may find that sumacs start popping up this spring anyway. Oh, really? Yeah, unless the roots were dug out, they are pretty tough plants. No, they just cut them down about two inches above um, the soil. Okay, so before you plant anything, uh, give it another couple of weeks and, w- and just watch. You may find that those sumacs survived. But, wow. Oh, interesting. But if okay. they didn't, yeah, I mean, I'd probably just go, depending on sun and shade availability, with either, like I said, a couple of cedars, give yourself, you know, that sort of fill with, with the, the evergreen and get the privacy that way. And I'm, I'm a big fan of yews. They grow sun, they grow shade. They need a little bit of pruning now and then just to keep them tidy, but they could certainly provide you what what might make you happy. But then there's tons of other options, again, depending on sun and shade and that sort of thing. But you want so I, narrow. So I could put a U there. I could plant a couple of U's and that would give me the sort of the privacy there that would... Yep. That yep. I'd be missing. You'd be looking for something called Hicks U, H-I-C-K-S, Hicks U, to provide you that hedging sort of an idea. All right? Oh, perfect. Thank you so much. You're, You're very welcome. welcome. Okay. Hey, you Sounds- know what, uh, Frank? Yeah. Uh, last week, we had a call from, and it was a good question. Oh, so many good questions, actually. Uh, oh, here, where am I? Uh, Lorraine called from Cambridge, and she was asking about live oak. Do you remember? Oh, yes. And I was yeah. like, I don't know. It's like an oak that's alive. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out live oak is a really common way of referring to Quercus, which is oak. You remember Quercus. We've right, studied yes. that at High Park. Quercus virginiana. It's an evergreen oak. Uh, it's found in the southern United States. And it's, there's many of them are so old, they just epitomize that old southern plantation mm-hmm. thing. So they, the common name is southern live oak, or live oak for short. 
And that's just a common name for Corcus Virginiana and why they're called that. I think it's just because they are just, they're the, the grand dames of, of the yes. South. Yes. And so they're called live oaks. There's, that's the best answer I've got. I feel like a mint julep right about now. Yeah. I don't know nothing <laughs> about birthing no babies. <laughs> oh, oh, man. We're off at a tangent. I think, I think what it is, we're both starved. We need breakfast. Either that or tired. <laughs> and Charlie, it's been fun today. Thank you it very much. It has. Wait, look, we've been all all over the province, not to mention all over the world. We've been international. So thanks, everybody. Great calls and bringing it all back together with our spray for slugs. So yeah. appreciate appreciate that reminder. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Sebastian. Have a great week. You, and Charlie. we'll see you again next Saturday. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.